And this morning we'll be looking at what is the last narrative in the book of Daniel. In the first six chapters, there were six narratives. In the first three, we're introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar and really this great Babylonian empire that spanned from Egypt in the south all the way to Iran in the north to the Persian Gulf in the east and then also to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And so you can imagine how big, if you know anything about our world, how big that empire would be. And so in the first three chapters, captive people to bring them back, to train them, to brainwash them, to being a part of his army, to grow his kingdom and his kingdom alone. And in that we see Daniel. We're introduced to Daniel and his three friends, which we know him as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we also see that not because of their own abilities, but because of God, because of them being faithful in obedience to God, that God gave them a position amongst the higher courts in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. And so then we get to chapter 4 where we find the key verse. Really, this is the key verse of all of Daniel's narratives. Chapter 4, verse 17, it says this. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the Holy One, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the climax. God is sovereign over all creation. He is in control. He is moving the pieces around as he wills. So this is our climax. This is what Daniel is trying to encourage those who are in exile with God's sovereign power. Even though it seems hard and it seems tough to them, God is in control. He's working that situation out for his people, for his Glory, And so verse 17, this is the climax. This is what Daniel wants them to know. This is what he wants us to know as the people of God, that God is in control and he is sovereign over your life. And so God is the central of all of history. And just when it looked like Rome was going to win, Jesus laid down his life. Amen, church? He laid it down. He laid it down on our behalf that three days later he would be resurrected so that we might be the glory of God. That we might be the glory of God. That we would be his people for his possession. And so God wins. His kingdom was established forever. And then the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see that God will not be mocked. We see that his justice will come to those who take light the holy things of the Lord. And in verse 27 in chapter 5, it says, You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And what this means is that you've been weighed and that you've been found light. That it's all about yourself, it's not about God. That when you've been put on the scale, the world sees you and not God. And then your end is destruction. Your glory is yourself in this world, and you will be judged. And then we get to the very familiar chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. And rightly so, this is a very powerful passage of God being glorified because of Daniel's faithfulness to God. Which brings us to our main point. As we look at the scripture, our main point is this. It says, the faithfulness of God's people in the midst of pressure 
results in God being glorified in and through them. In and through them. And here's our key verse. Verse 26b through 27. It says, For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And we'll break that down and we'll get to that soon. But before that, I want you to consider a few questions. I want you to consider these few questions. What do we do when our laws collide with God's law? What do we do? What do we do? What about when you're forced to do something at work that doesn't abide with God's law? What do we do? What does God want us to do when policies at work collide with the law of God or the word of God? What do we do? We trust. We trust that his law is superior to all man's laws. And we put our faith in that. And that's what we're going to learn here in Daniel, that we trust in the superior law of God. And so if you will, look at verse 1 in chapter 6. We're going to walk through this. There's six scenes here, and we're going to move through this narrative together. And so we're going to read and follow along with me here in the first scene. We see the palace, and we see King Darius as he plans to appoint Daniel as king. Now we have to remember that Daniel is coming from a kingdom, which was Babylon, into a new kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. And and in this, he's really an outsider. He's looked as a foreigner. They're like, who is this guy? Who is Daniel? Why is King Darius going to appoint him? Who is this guy? And so right away, there has to be some tension. There has to be. And so it says this in verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, this is governors, to be throughout the whole kingdom, And over them three high officials or presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom the satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king's plan to set him over the whole kingdom. And so we see our first point. Our first point is this. The character of God will not be unnoticed. It will not be be unnoticed. You got to think here. There's 120 governors that is in this in this kingdom, and of those, they're running different providences. He sets three presidents above them, and then in the midst of this, he's going to rise up one, and that one is Daniel. And what does it say? It says because why is he distinguished? It says because an excellent spirit was in him. He was a man of God. His character was a man of God, and they knew it. Even though they didn't walk with Daniel for very long in the overtaking, they knew somehow King Darius knew that this, there was something different. There was some kind of spirit that was different about Daniel. And so King Darius wants to promote him. Then we get to verse 4, and it says, The high officials... The satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regards to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in them. Then these men said, we shall not find any grounds for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. 
And so these men conspired. They conspired to set forth a way that they could trap both Daniel and King Darius. They wanted to trap him because they knew that he was a man of great character and that he would not defile the king on the earth at that time, which was King Darius, or his king who has superior authority, God. He was a man of great character. And so what they thought is, man, we can trap him. And their plan was this. Their plan was to make King Darius God for 30 days. That's the plan. Listen to what he says in in verse 6. It says, Then the high officials and the satraps came to agree to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. So they're building up his ego right here. They're saying, all right, live forever. You're great. Verse 7 says, All the high officials of the kingdom, which is not true, by the way, (laughs) the prefects, the enforcers of discipline, the satraps, the governors, the counselors, the governors, they all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce the injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or any man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And so they're trying to build up his morale. They're trying to build up the king to say, you are great and mighty and no other one should pray to anyone besides you. Because they knew that Daniel was faithful to his God. They knew that he was a man that prayed, that loved the Lord, that seeked God first. And so their plan was to make Darius God for 30 days. And then he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. They knew that it could not be revoked. But here's the idea. They didn't want Darius to be king forever, right? Just 30 days. They wanted to be God for 30 days. They knew it was going to change. They just needed enough time to trap Daniel, this outsider, this one they didn't like. And so, for 30 days, they set up a plan to make King Darius God. And then verse 9, it says, Therefore, King Darius signed the document... And the injunction. And so it was. It was in stone, and for 30 days it could not be changed. It could not be revoked. And so then we see Daniel. Daniel's in his house. And we come to our second point, is that our devotion to God shall not cease. Our devotion to God shall not cease. Verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So why didn't Daniel just close the window, right? That's what we're thinking. Why didn't he just close the window? What's going on here? He could have closed the window. He could have got on his knees. He could have prayed. No one would have seen him. What's going on? Why? Why, Daniel? Is he doing this in spite of, right? Like they're telling me I can't pray to my God. I'm going to show them. No. It's not Daniel's heart. It's not Daniel's heart. Look at the end of verse 10. It says this. He had done as he has done previously. He was a man that sought God. He was a man that loved God the law of God and wanted to be as faithful as he could and nothing was going to change that. So it wasn't to prove a point, but really what it was, is just he didn't want to compromise what he's already been doing. It wasn't about proving a point. 
It was about being faithfully obedient to God and trusting that he is sovereign and in control of whatever the outcome may be. Dr. Martin Luther King says this. He says, if a man hasn't discovered something that he will die for, he isn't fit to live. I think Daniel understood that. I think Daniel understood that. Daniel had discovered that there was something worth dying for, which is what kept him on his knees and praying when others have quit. When others have quit in the face of persecution, in the face of danger and suffering, they may have shut the window and they may have went in their closet and hid and broken their routine. But Daniel didn't. Daniel knew it was worth dying for. God is worth it. And so since he wasn't afraid to die and he had the courage to live for God in this pagan world, I really think this is chapter seven, chapter four, verse 17, when we think of that, right? God does as he wills for you and I and also for Daniel that we must trust and obey him no matter the circumstances, that God's law, when it collides with man, God is in control. God is in control. And Daniel knew this. It's chapter 3, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they face death. When they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Listen to what they say. Listen to what they say. Chapter 3, the end of verse 16. They say, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. We have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) That's pretty bold, right? These guys are about to die. He says, We have no need to answer you in this manner. Verse 17, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fires, the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But, here it is, I love verse 18. I think this is where we got to really lean in and listen. He says this, but if not, be it known to you, O king. That we, will, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up. It doesn't matter whether we live or die, we're trusting that that is the plan of God. Whether you throw me in there and I come out alive or not, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. And this is something we must cling to. In the face of this world, in the face of all the obstacles, all the pressures that are being put on us from society and in this world, we must stand up and say, no matter the outcome, we're trusting that God's plan is good. He is in control and he will be glorified. That, my friend, is daring faith. That is a daring faith. God's law always wins. And then verse 11 the conspirators, they find him praying. It says, these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and plead before his God. And so we see this. They're back at the palace. They found him praying. And we see our third point. Believers must trust the faithfulness of God to his people. Believers, we must trust the faithfulness of God to his people. Look at verse 12. And they bring Daniel and they accuse Daniel and they bring him before the king and accuse him of breaking the law. It says this in verse 12. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign the injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? 
And the king answered and said, The things stand fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then uh, then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is the one, who is the, I'm sorry, who is one of the exiles from Judah? Pay no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And so those who conspired against Daniel, they seem like, at this point, it seems like they've won, right? They seem like they've got Daniel. They've, they've tricked the king, and they've got Daniel. And it's amazing to me that their hatred towards Daniel, we see this in the world all the time, but that their hatred towards him and their jealousy of what he may accomplish in the kingdom, that he may be ruler over all, that they're willing to kill him, that his life does not matter. They're willing to compromise that. We're going to do anything it takes to get rid of this foreigner, this person who's come into our, our kingdom. He hasn't been with us. We've been fighting the wars. We've been overtaking different empires. And now... King Darius is just going to hand him the keys to everything. And so there's this jealousy. And the sin of man, trust me, the sin of man will go to any extreme to accomplish the task it wants. Sin is ugly and it is real. And so then we see verse 14. It says, The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Why was the king distressed? See, he knew. He knew. He finally seen the plan, right? He finally seen the plot to what was going on. That they didn't really, the conspirators, they really didn't care about King Darius or his kingdom or the empire going forth and ruling. They cared about themselves. They cared about what they could get out of it, what they could achieve. And so they plotted against the kingdom, the king, and Daniel. And so he realized what's going on. And so in verse 14, it says this. It says, at the end there, it says he labored. He labored till the sun went down. Meaning that in the custom times that when you were a sentence or accused of something, you had until that night, till the sun went down, till they uh, would uh, kill or set or accuse or set the injunction, whatever it may be, they would... They would do that. So he had till the sun came down. So he's laboring. He's like, I got to figure it out. What have I done? I've messed up, right? The king, I've messed up. Before the penalty, before the sentence is taking place at night, I got to figure it out. And so he labors. He's looking for a loophole in the law. He's trying to figure it out. What can I do for, for Daniel? And he couldn't do anything. His hands were tied. And we see in verse 15, I love this. He says this. It says, Then the men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. The king knew this, right? He knew it couldn't be changed. But they could see that he was reluctant. They could see him battling with it. So they remind him, Hey, you know you can't change the law. Daniel's got to go. He's got to go to the den of lions. And so then we get to scene four that evening. We're at the the lion's den. And in verse 16, we see this. We see the king order Daniel to be thrown in. It says, verse 16, Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver 
you. And I love that word. He says it again continually. I don't know if you noticed that. He says, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. It just shows, this is more evidence that Daniel is a man of God, that's seeking God, that trusts in God, no matter what, that the king, that the king himself would say this about him and about his character. And so we see this, we see that on his behalf, because he knew this about Daniel, the king himself declares that his God would save him. In verse 17, and the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And this signet here, the seal, meant two things, and I think it's important for us to know. First, it meant that not only could no one try to rescue Daniel, you couldn't try to rescue Daniel, but you also couldn't try to kill Daniel. And you're like, well, what, is, what, what does he mean by that? And so what it means is that if there was a small chance that the lions weren't going to eat Daniel, they couldn't get in there, kill him, and then... You know, they just had to leave, let him be. And so what this was known as really in, in the uh, ancient world was trial by ordeal. And what that meant was is that when they put Daniel in there, they all had to leave. No one was leaning in, waiting to see, to hear if he's getting devoured. Everyone left, and they trusted that really the lions were the judge and the jury. And whatever happened, if, if Daniel lives, then he's, he's free from all this and all the penalties, all the accusations, he's free. And in ancient worlds, they used to do this in lakes. They would take a prisoner out to the lake, just imagine, malnourished, you know, beaten up, bruised, and they throw him in the middle of a lake, and not like, you know, a 10-acre lake, like thousands of acre lake. And if he survived, if he made it back to shore, he was free. He was a free man. And so the lake was the judge, right? The lion is the judge and the jury. And so they toss Daniel in there, and they're waiting to see. And they all leave. Then we get to verse 18. In the midst of this, in the midst of all this happening, the king, then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and slept fled from him. The king was restless. He knew. He knew that a good man was set up and there was nothing that he could do. And he was restless. And then early the next morning, see in verse 19, we get our fifth point. It says, God works miracles for his people, sometimes earthly, but always eternally. Sometimes earthly, but always eternally. Verse 19, the king hurries down. It says, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And you can imagine right here, right? You can imagine the, the wait. Like he's waiting to hear. And I know those seconds before he replied probably felt like eternity. And so he's leaning in and he's listening. In verse 21 it says, Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. May God, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. God saved Daniel. God saved Daniel. He sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Why? 
Listen to what he says. Listen to what Daniel says. Daniel says, I was found blameless before God and before man. He's not saying he was sinless. This is important for us to know. He's not saying he was sinless here. Legion Duncan says it this way. I want to read this because it brings such clarity. Listen to what he says about this being blameless. It says, Daniel is not claiming to be sinless. Daniel is not claiming to have never done anything wrong, but Daniel is saying, in the heart of the moment, in the heat of the moment, I chose God, and I am innocent before him. I didn't do anything wrong in this circumstance before God, and furthermore, O king, I did, do, I did not do anything wrong to you. Your henchmen, they have accused me of having no respect for you. That couldn't be any further from the truth, but no one has precedence or priority over my God and therefore I have done nothing wrong to you and I have done nothing wrong to him and so what Daniel is saying is that he chose God when the laws collided he didn't live a perfect life we don't live a perfect life but we strive to live out the law of God to be obedient to God right and that's what Daniel was doing. We're trying to, not in a legalistic way, it's an overflow of who he understood who God is, right? It's an overflow of that. It's not legalistic, like I have to do these certain things so that God will find approval in me. He said, I want to do these things because God is king. He is ruler. He is deliverer. He is rescuer. He is faithful. He is sovereign. I trust in him. I trust in his will. And over that overflows this obedience to the superior king, King God. And not Darius, even though in the midst of, of, of working with King Darius, he wanted to honor him, right? As long as the law didn't collide, he was going to be a man of great character. When we think about that in our workplace, we want to be men of great character, men and women of great character in our workplace, as long as it doesn't compromise the gospel. Right? The gospel is our focus. But if it doesn't, then we're going we're gonna to be the best employer that we can be. Right? Because guess what? That honors God. That brings glory to God. When people, when unbelievers see believers being submissive, that brings glory to God. But then it also brings glory to God that when they see men and women of faith stand up for the law of God in the workplace. So I want to challenge us to think through that. That God works miracle in his people, sometimes on earth, but always eternally. And so then we get to verse 23, and it says this, The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. I love it. They brought him up. There's one thing that I missed about the story. You know, I love the narrative, but one thing you're like, you, you kind of think to yourself, what went on, right? What went on in that den? When we think of the movies and someone being tossed in there, it's like, why couldn't Daniel give me a little bit more, right? In this whole narrative, he says one line. I don't know if you've noticed that. Daniel speaks one time, and that's it. But then I thought to myself, how awesome is that, right? I don't need the story. I don't need the details. It'd be nice to have them, but I don't need them. I need the one God saved. God rescued me. Oh, King, God delivered me. And that's what Daniel speaks of. It's because he trusted in God. 
And the verse 24 says, The king commanded, and those who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the dens of lion, and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom, <laughs> before they reached the bottom, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Church, those who try to overpower and stop the kingdom of God, they will be destroyed. Justice will be served. Our God is just, and he is right in doing so. And those who accuse you here on earth, those who persecute you, those who look down upon you because of your faith in God, there will be a day when, they will be, when justice will come and they will be judged because God's kingdom will not be stopped. And so then we come to our last scene, back at the palace, and the king writes a decree. And we have our last point. It says this, the faithfulness of God's people result in God being glorified. Faithfulness of God's people results in God being glorified. Verse 25 says, The king Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwelt in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to, to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And he writes this, he says, For For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. And this is a summary of really all of Daniel 1 through 5 or 1 through 6. He's summarizing that God is a living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. And then he goes on to declare the situation that just happened. He summarizes chapter 6 right here. He says, he delivers and rescues He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. What a decree. What a decree. Especially from King Darius. One who came in and took over. Took over the Babylonian Empire. And you know he had to hear of the stories. He probably sat down with Daniel and and thinking through all of this. And he writes this decree. And he says, you know what? All this history that's been involved from chapter 1 to chapter 6. Your God is a living God. He endures forever. And his kingdom shall not be destroyed. He rescued you. He'll rescue anyone. Trust in him. And so in verse 28 it says this. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius. In the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. What does this mean that Daniel prospered? What does it mean? It means that he was blessed because of his faithfulness to God for his glory. For his glory. Prosperity was never the motive of Daniel, right? It wasn't his motive. He wasn't sitting down in the lion's den going, man, if I make it out of this, there's some riches to come. Right? He wasn't thinking that. It's not, he wasn't thinking the prosperity gospel, right? He wasn't thinking at all. I'm pretty sure he was thinking like, I'm trusting you, Lord. And I may die or may not. But in the end, you will get the glory. And it's not the prosperity gospel. But it is whether I live or die, may God be glorified, right? Whether I'm rich or poor, May God be glorified. Whether I'm filled or hungry, may God be glorified. Whether I have a job or not, whether I lose my promotion or not, may God 
be glorified. And whether I'm sick or I'm healthy, may God be glorified. The glory of God was Daniel's motive. Is it ours? Is it ours? I want to encourage you, church, as we end with these two thoughts. I want to encourage you that God delivers and rescues his people for his glory in heaven and on earth. It's a beautiful Old Testament letter that points us to the coming deliverer, the rescuer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you with some scriptures. Look at Romans 8, 28 says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, those who love God, it works out for you. Trust God. It may seem like it's hard and tough, and it is. Trust me. This life is not easy, but it's for his good. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. God has a reward for you and I. Be faithful, be committed to him, and he will take care of the rest. Genesis 5, 50, 20 says this, As far as you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. God uses evil. He knows no evil, but trust me, he knows how to use it for his glory. And he is good at it. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says this. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. The faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those who love him. And keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. He loves us. He wants to watch over his people and take care of his people. And sometimes that's earthly. Sometimes that's eternity. And then I want to challenge you church. Here's the last thing. I want to challenge you because I want to encourage you. Be the people of God. Live for God. Be faithful to him, but also being faithful despite the outcome or the reward. That's the challenge. Be faithful despite the outcome or the reward. Think about what you've already obtained in Christ. And lean on that, church. Lean on that. Allow that to motivate you. Allow that to allow you to persevere in the midst of trials. James 1.12 says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. In Matthew 10.40, here's the reward. Jesus is the reward. Listen to this. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Christ is our reward, church. Live for him now. He is our reward. And so here's the main idea. The faithfulness of God's people, those who believe, those who truly believe and trust in God in the midst of pressure, the pressure from the world, the result is God being glorified in and through us. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this narrative in Daniel. Thank you that you used your servant to show to us that you are so good. Even in the midst of persecution and trials, you are in control. That you allow nothing to come against your children that wasn't meant by your hand. 
And we are so thankful. Teach us, Father, to persevere. Teach us to have a steadfast love for your law, for your word, for your people. Teach us to lift high the name of God in the midst of this hostile and pagan world. Thank you that you sent a deliverer in your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.